The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. This is what we talked about over the last couple of weeks. We ended with this last week. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because for what? Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has... How many of you can give testimony to that? Yeah, every day has enough trouble of its own. Well, again, I'm so glad that you're here today. For the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about worry. And if you haven't been a part of this series, uh, we're, we're in the last part. And I would highly recommend that you go listen to the first two because it really builds on what we're going to talk about today. So I was thinking about how we could end this series. And I thought it would be fascinating to wrap up this story with a, uh, or with, with a series, with a story from the Old Testament. It's a very, very interesting story. Uh, it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, I'm going to give you some context, and I would love for you to follow along in your Bible because, because I want you to go home, and I want you to read the rest of the story because I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'm going to kind of leave you hanging, and maybe you'll read the rest of the story, you know, start reading the Bible, which is, which is always a good thing, because the Bible is so great. Amen? Yeah. Amen. The Bible is really, it's so great. But 1 Kings, we find this story about a guy who had lots and lots to worry about, and toward the end of the story, toward the end of the story, God asked this particular guy a, a question that I, I just believe is a phenomenal, phenomenal question. In fact, if you're a worrier, and we all deal with worry, right? But if you're a worrier, I mean, you're just specifically worried about right now, about things that are going on because it just seems to be so different than, you know, than before. You might want to take this question, put it on a three-by-five card, put it in a drawer at home, or put it on a mirror, or put it, you know, somewhere, because this is a question that recenters us as it relates to, you know, what we're focused on and what we're worried about. So it's a great, great story. So let me sort of set this up for you. I'm going to take a few minutes, so I need you to stay with me. I'm going to set this up for you, and then we'll We'll get, dive right into it. When the nation of Israel became a kingdom, the first king was a guy by the name of King Saul. You may have heard of him before, and the, after him became, became the most famous king. Anybody know who that was? Who? Yeah, David. Came David, and after David? Solomon, yeah. So Saul... David and Solomon, and then after Solomon, you know, Rehoboam went one way and Jeroboam went another way. The kingdom actually split into what is called the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, and this is interesting for you to know, it's helpful if you read the Bible, the northern kingdom was also referred to as Israel. They, they sort of retained the name Israel, and then the other uh, southern kingdom was often referred to as Judah. So this particular story that I'm about to tell you, takes place in about 860 B.C. The kingdom has already split, and the king of the northern kingdom is a guy by the name of Ahab, and Ahab was not a good king. Ahab was a wicked, wicked king because he had led the Israel away from the things of God, away from the law of God. And so God does for Abraham what God has done for you and what God has done for me. As Ahab turned his back on God and led the people astray, led them into Baal worship, led them into idolatry, led them away you know, from the law of God, God sent a voice. God sent a person. God sent a message to Ahab. And, and see, the thing is, God has done that for you as well. When you were a teenager, it was your parents. And a voice into your life. Maybe recently a friend of yours has sat you down and said, you know what, it's really none of my business, but if you keep going this way, you know, keep doing this, you know, you're going to find yourself upside down, you know, financially. Or, or maybe someone has come to you lately and said, do you always speak that way to your wife? Do you always speak that way to your mom? I mean, is, it, is that what you do? So every once in a while, a voice will come into our lives, a voice of reason. And when we hear that voice of reason, what do we generally do? Oh, thank you so much. I'm so, so grateful for the insight. I'm going to change my life right now. What do we normally say? Hey, get out of here, right? 
Isn't that what we normally say? It's like, hey, I don't need to listen to you. But here's what happened. God sent Elijah the prophet into Ahab's life, and, and Elijah the prophet said to Ahab, said, hey, Ahab, God is sick and tired of the way that you're leading the people. And so God is going to get your attention. It's not going to rain anymore. We're actually going to wreck the economy to get your attention. And then Elijah left. And Ahab's like, oh, I'm so sure that you can turn the rain, you know, on and off. Well, a month goes by, two months go by, three months go by, and it isn't raining. And meanwhile, God says to Elijah, Elijah, you need to actually go and hide because you're not going to be very popular around here. Because people believe that you turn the rain off, and they actually believe that you can turn it on. So you, you need to go hide. And then, and you, you need to read this for yourself, then he runs away, and God begins to take care of Elijah. Now, he wasn't living high on the, the hog. He was sort of, you know, camping out. But God provides for Elijah while the rest of the country is in turmoil. I mean, there's no rain, there's no crops, cattle are dying, things are bad, and three years go by. Three years go by, and, and, and God comes to Elijah, and he says, Elijah, I need you to go talk to, uh, to Ahab again. And, and, of course, Elijah's like, well, you know, he's kind of looking for me, and, you know, it's not going to go very well, and God says, go. And so Elijah goes, he finds Ahab, he surprises Ahab because, you know, Ahab has been looking all over for him. Three years have gone by. The economy is in shambles. The economy is a wreck. And Elijah says to Ahab, he says, Ahab, God is ready to teach the nation a lesson if you're ready to learn it. He, he's going to let it rain again, but there's a little caveat. We need to have a little meeting. And of course, Ahab's like, okay, hey, whatever we need to do to get the rain turned back on. So Elijah says, I want you to meet me up on Mount Carmel. And of course, everybody knew where that was. I want you to bring the prophets of Baal, all these people that you, know, you think have a connection with a God that I don't even believe exists. And you know, that's what you want to believe. But you bring them up to Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a little prayer meeting. And you and your prophets are going to pray to Baal, and I'm going to pray to Yahweh, the God of our fathers, and we're going to see which one of, of these gods can make it rain. Now, now, to us, you know, we read that. That's like so weird, right? That's like really weird, but it was working for them because, you know, they needed the rain. And so Abraham, or Ahab's like, okay, fine. So the Bible tells the story. They meet up on Count Mar uh, uh, Mount Carmel. It's a really, really, really cool story. You may have heard that in Sunday school growing up, if you, you know, grew up in church. So they meet on this mountain, over 400 prophets of Baal, thousands of people from the cities, from the surrounding cities, you know, have heard about this contest. The prophets of Baal get there. They arrive. Elijah says, okay, you guys go over there and build an altar. I'm going to go over here and to this altar over here that's broken down. That used to be used to worship Yahweh, and I'm going to rebuild that altar. And while I'm rebuilding my altar, you guys go ahead and you start calling on Baal, making these sacrifices to Baal, and see if you can get Baal, you know, to make it rain. And then I'll call on Yahweh, and then we'll just see who's God. It's really God. We'll just figure this out. And so the story goes on. They build this, ar this altar. And in the morning, you know, the, the prophets of Baal, uh, they begin praying uh, to Baal, to asking him to make it rain. And they're sacrificing animals. And they're dancing around. And, you know, they're calling out. And they're shouting. And, you know, all this is going on. And this goes on from morning all the way through to lunchtime. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Elijah is building his altar, and then Elijah makes some very, very uh, politically uh, incorrect statements. In fact, these, these are actually uh, amazing. I mean, you could not get away with this in our culture uh, today, and I'm certainly not suggesting that, that we do, but, but Elijah begins to make fun of their God. I mean, imagine doing that. I mean, I get offended when I see the ichthus. You guys know what that is? The fish, you know, with the Darwin legs? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like, ah, It's like, ugh. Because, you know, that represents Jesus. I mean, I've, I've actually keyed a few cars over that. I mean, I mean, but other than that, I didn't get to. No, I'm just kidding. I really, I, I really haven't keyed any cars, but maybe I've thought about doing it. But, but I didn't, so uh, no, I, I, I didn't do that. But it's offensive, 
It's offensive to me, and I think the people that put those on there think it was kind of kind of funny, but they don't understand that the ichthys, you know, that means Jesus. You know, that's the Son of God. That's personal. And they put feet and eyes on it. Well, this, this story, this goes way, 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 way beyond that. And so while they're dancing around, calling out on Baal, they start cutting themselves. They start slashing themselves, trying to get, you know, Baal's attention. And I just want to, I won't show you the scriptures. I'll just tell you real briefly what Elijah says to them. And I'll, I'll just read it to you. It's actually kind of funny. So he's over there building his altar. And they're over, ha- over there having this big concert, you know, trying to get, you know, Baal to make fire come from heaven or whatever. And so he says to them, he says, shout louder. Hey, shout louder. You know, isn't that great? You know, Elijah's over there kind of, you know, making fun of him, right? Then he says, surely he's a God, isn't he? Isn't he a God? Then he says, perhaps he's in deep thought. Maybe he's just thinking. I mean, he's just making fun of Baal or busy. And then he says, hey, maybe Baal's traveling. Maybe he's out of town. Maybe that's why he's not, you know, causing the the fire to, you know, starting the fire. Maybe he's sleeping and you need to wake him up. You know, he's just making fun of Baal. Well, this goes all day long, all the way into the evening. And just before evening, they're all tired. You know, they're all laid out. I mean, half of them are bleeding to death. And, you know, Baal hasn't done anything. And Elijah says, okay, my turn, my turn. But before I ask God to light this altar up, I would like for you to drench it with water and, and, and understand that it has not rained in like three, three years. So there's not a lot of water, but he insists that they take the water and, you know, drench, you know, the altar. And if you've read this story, if you're familiar with this story, that you know that there is so much water on the altar. I mean, the wood is soaked, the animal is soaked, you know, everything is just drenched with water. And he says, you know, I just want you to know I did this so that you didn't think there was, was some sort of, you know, magic trick. And then he prayed and God lit up that altar and all the people are like, you know what? We're thinking that maybe Yahweh is God and Baal is not. We think maybe God is really Yahweh. And they turn on these prophets and they slaughter them and they kill the prophets for misleading the people of God. And then Elijah goes to Ahab and he says, Ahab, you need to run as fast as you possibly can to the city because it's going to rain. And by this time, Ahab's thinking, I believe you. I believe you. I mean, you turned it off. Maybe God really is going to, you know, turn it back on. So he takes off for the city. And then in the meantime, Elijah with his servant goes up on this, on this hill because, you know, there, there's not a cloud in the sky. And he asks his servant, hey, do you see any clouds? And so there's this incredible, interesting story about them waiting for the clouds to show up. But eventually, eventually it begins to rain. Now, here's, here's, here's what I want you to hear. At this point... Elijah is like a rock star. Elijah is like a hero. You know, Elijah is like, oh my gosh, God speaks to this guy. And God actually turns off the rain and now he's turned it back on. So, you know, you, you, know, you would think, you know, what, what's, what's there to be afraid of? Nothing. But look what happens in verse 3. Check this out. Ahab, actually, let me, let me just say this. Ahab goes back home, has, has a conversation with his wife. And does anybody know who Ahab's wife was? Anybody? What? Jezebel. That's right. Now, that's a name you don't see very much. Jezebel, right? I mean, you don't name your daughter Jezebel, right? Although I did meet a, a little girl one time named Jezebel, and her parents said, yeah, this is our daughter Jezebel. And I'm thinking, well, you haven't read 1 Kings 19 lately, have you? And here's our other son, Judas. You know, it's like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I've never met a girl named Jezebel. But, but, but the point is this. Jezebel, even, even if you're not a Bible person, Jezebel kind of has a, con- a negative connotation. So anyway, Ahab is married to Jezebel, and she is like wicked, wicked, wicked to the 10th power. I mean, she is just. So he goes back, and that's where our story begins. So I told you all of that to tell you what I'm about to tell you. All of that is just the introduction. You with me? Come on. Are you with me? All right. Here we go. First Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab, you, you understand what happened, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets 
with the sword. Basically, all of her prophets, really, because she was like, she was like the queen of Baal worship. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, so she, you know, she sends a messenger because Elijah has sort of gotten in and out of the rain. And here's what her message was. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time, what? By this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, Elijah, here's the deal. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as all my prophets. By this time tomorrow, your life is over. And, you know, you're reading this story, and from our perspective, you know, looking at the story, you're thinking, and I'm thinking that Elijah's like, well, bring it on, honey. I mean, come on, bring it on, because I can turn the rain off. And I can turn the rain on. Did you not hear about the fireworks up on Mount Carmel? I mean, in fact, I've got a better idea. Why don't you and me, Jezebel, why don't we just meet up on Mount Carmel? I mean, what's he have to worry, be worried about, right? I mean, this, this is just, just crazy. And, and granted, she is a powerful woman. She's the most powerful you know, woman in the kingdom. Really, she's behind all of Ahab's decision. I mean, ugh, I mean, she's got lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my, you know. <laughs> Troops and soldiers and oh. But God has just done this amazing, amazing thing. And so from our perspective, we're reading this story. And we're like, what do you got to worry about? Nothing. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. It's like, whoa, 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 time out. Wait a minute. Do, do you not remember what just happened to you? So he was afraid and he ran for his life. And here's what was going on. Elijah, and this will connect us back to what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> Elijah was okay in the now. But Jezebel said, come tomorrow. Your life's over. And Elijah's like, oh, no, I'm afraid, not, not of now, I'm afraid of tomorrow. And he ran for his life. Now, here's what I would su- suspect of many of us sitting in this auditorium this morning. Not all of us, perhaps, but many of us. If I were to drop into your life and I were to look uh, you know, at, at what you're worried about, what you're concerned about. If I were to drop into your life and look at that, I may be tempted to say to you what we may be tempted to say to Elijah. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? Well, because tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And I would say, wait, 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 wait. Do you not remember, you know, two days ago, three days ago, you know, a few months ago, four years ago? Do you not remember? He go, oh, yeah, 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 I know. I remember what. But tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And I'd be like, yeah, but, but remember. And so, so here's Elijah, totally, totally blanked out on God's past faithfulness because of the threat of tomorrow. So the story continues. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, and I'm going to walk you through this. So he comes to Judah, and, and Judah, this is important to know, Judah is like the southern kingdom, right? So really, he's left the country. He's left the northern kingdom. This is like 100 miles away. Think about that. This is like, in fact, the story could basically say, and two weeks later, he's been running for two weeks, He goes on, while himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he saw a broom bush, which is a big bush, kind of, you know, white, white flowers. People use it for shade, kind of a small tree. He came to the broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He might die. It's like, Elijah, are you? And he's going, no, no, no. It's over for me. In fact, listen to his prayer. I have had enough, Lord. He said, I've had enough. I've had enough. And granted, certainly, you know, he's been running for three years from Ahab. He's been, you know, hiding and all of that. But in life, maybe hasn't been great. But God has been taking care of him. 
He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, you know, I'm, I'm better off dead. I'm better off dead. And he lays down under the tree, falls asleep. At once an angel touches him and says, get up. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread caked over coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And, and, and perhaps maybe his servant finally caught up with him and, you know, fixed this for him. He, so he fixed this meal. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. In other words, you're killing yourself. You are so stressed out. You're not even eating. Get up and eat. The journey is too much. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And let me tell you why that's very significant, okay? So we, we have a tendency to rewrite through Scripture sometimes. But Horeb was what we refer to as Mount Sinai, same mountain, okay? Horeb is where Moses all along, some of you remember this, he saw the burning bush and went over to check the burning bush out and it wasn't burning up. God spoke to him. Horeb is where after the Israelites left Egypt, they went to this same mountain. And remember, Moses went up on the mountain. God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. Horeb is where in the minds of the Jewish people in, in ancient culture, you know, it's where God hung out. So if you couldn't be around the Ark of the Covenant, then just go to the mountain because that's where God is. That's where God hangs out. And so Elijah spends a month, over a month, you know, traveling to a deserted lonely, uninhabited place to die, but to be as close to God as he can possibly get because none of this makes sense. None of this seems to be going anywhere. And tomorrow is so uncertain. And then Elijah goes into, the scripture says, he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. Here's what he said. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? What, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's like, wait, 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 wait. You're like miles and miles and miles away from where I had you. And you're miles and miles and miles away from where I had you because suddenly tomorrow seems threatening. And you ran away? Elijah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? See, I love this question. And we'll finish the story in just a minute. I love this question because I have a feeling that for many of us sitting here today in this auditorium, I just have a feeling that for some of us who are so stressed out about the uncertainty of tomorrow that we've done some running ourselves, haven't we? Some of us have run mentally. We're, you know, we're so detached from our families because we're so stressed out about tomorrow. Some of us have actually, you know, physically run. You've run away from your family. You've run away from a marriage. You've run away from your parents. You know, emotionally and physically, you've kind of backed away, you know, from the kids because you're so stressed out over something that deals with them or maybe something that has to do with something entirely different. And maybe physically you're there, but emotionally and, you know, mentally you're not there. You, you've run away because now you've got, you know, a couple extra glasses of wine that you drink. You le drink a little bit too much. You're actually starting to drink a little bit more than you used to. And you're in a place that you've never, ever been before emotionally. You're in a place that you've never, ever been before relationally. You're in a place that you've never, ever been before, you know, physically. And it's all because of the stress and the anxiety and, and the fear of tomorrow. And you have no business. You're in a place you have no business being. And what if God... What if God showed up in the place that you have no business being? Whether it's a physical location, an emotional location, you know, a, a mental location. And God says to you, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what are you doing here? What, what are you doing here? Why did you run? Why have you allowed the uncertainty of tomorrow? And by the way, tomorrow is always uncertain. Why have you allowed the threat of tomorrow, and by the way, tomorrow is always somewhat threatening. 
Why have you allowed a future you cannot control that you've never been able to control? Why have you trusted in the threat of an employer or the threat of the economy or the threat of your finances or the threat of your children or your husband or your wife? Why have you allowed the threats of, of tomorrow or for tomorrow or located around tomorrow or maybe possibly might take place tomorrow? Why have you allowed that to, to drive you to a place that you have no business being. What are you doing? What are you doing there? What are you doing there? Because we could drop into your life and it wouldn't make any sense to us. <laughs> like God looks into your life and he says, you know what? It really doesn't make any sense to me. And so Elijah responds back to God. And I, and I love this because Elijah does exactly what we do. You know, we just give God some information. You know, that's what we do. And you find this all throughout the Scripture. It's just amazing. You know, you know it's so common. You know, God, and don't you know, God, my son, and God, my daughter. And, you know, we know that God knows, but there's just something about us saying it. And, you know, if I could just tell my sad story, even though, God, I know you know my sad story, because I just got to get this thing out. So, so Elijah says, okay, I'll tell you why I'm here. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, turned down your, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. And by the way, God, I'm the only one that's left. And now they're trying to kill me. In other words, what do you mean, God? What do you mean, what am I doing here? You, you expect me to stay in Jerusalem? You, you expect me to stay in the vicinity of Ahab? You expect me to stay in the vicinity of the northern kingdom? You expect me to stay, you know, there under, you know, threat of death? It's like, hey, God, I don't know if you've been, you know, paying attention or not, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on around me that, you know, maybe you're not aware of. And then the Lord seemingly says something, you know, irrelevant to him. Verse 11, the Lord said, Elijah, I want you to go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. So he's in a cave. I want you to go stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, we don't know what went through Elijah's mind at this particular time, but perhaps it was this. And that's going to do what? That's going to change what? That, that's going to make a difference How? Okay, so let me, let me go over this again, God, because I, obviously you're not really paying attention. See, nobody believes you're there but me. Nobody be, nobody's even paying attention to you but me. You haven't done anything. Things are bad. Life, you know, my life has been threatened. Jezebel's looking for me. Everybody's looking for me. It's over for me. God, is, I'm better off dead. And you want me to go stand the mouth of a cave? Goes on. And then a great and powerful wind. I mean, he didn't obey. He stayed right there in the cave, didn't obey. A great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, which meant that God was going to pass by, but he hadn't passed by yet. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I was just thinking about this, just an observation for me, you know, just, just something that I thought of. I, I thought, you know, sometimes I think God allows the wind and allows the earthquake and allows the fire in our lives to, to you know, to blow away and to shake out and to burn up all the things that keep us from hearing his voice. Come on, somebody talk back to me, right? After the fire came a gentle whisper when Elijah heard the whisper. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the case. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah, I, I get it. If there's not me, I get it. I understand why you're here. I understand why you're 100 miles away from where you should be. I understand that if there's not me, I totally understand. But there's, but there's me. There's me. D did you like the fireworks display up on Mount Carmel? Did you like the removal and rearrangement, you know, that you just experienced outside the mouth of the cave? Did you like, you know, how about the fire? There's me, Elijah. You forgot to factor in me. See, you're looking through the lens of circumstance, and there is no hope. There is no purpose. 
And if there, is, there was no me, there would be no hope. There would be no pers- purpose. There would have never been any hope or been any purpose. But there was me. There was me, Elijah. What in the world are you doing here in this place? Why are you here? So he goes on. And maybe, maybe not so arrogantly, I think this time, just again, my observation. He, he replied, well, I've, I've been zealous for the, for the Lord God Almighty. So he starts the same speech all over again. I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. And I think, and I don't know for sure, just again, my observation, based on what happens next, I actually think this is true. I think that as Elijah is rehearsing his story to God, I think he's thinking about the rocks, and I think he's thinking about the earthquake, and I think he's thinking about the fire. He may even be thinking about Mount Carmel, and I think it's beginning to dawn on him. I think he's beginning to realize my story really doesn't have a lot of leverage because there's God And apart from God, it doesn't even make sense why I'm here hiding. But in light of what I've just experienced, and in light of God's past faithfulness to me, what am I doing here? The Israelites have rejected your covenant. He goes through all of that, and now they're trying to kill me too. But he's like, well, I guess that's really not a good excuse for being in this place because you're still God, and you're still presence. And then check this out. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Now, this is going to hit home for some of you. Go back the way you came. And it's like, whoa, wait, time out. God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to go back. You ran away. You got to go right back where you came from. You got to start all over. So the Lord says to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. And, and to us, we just read right by that, and that's meaningless. But let me just tell you why that's so significant and why that's important here in this narrative. Aram already had a king. And God says to him, he says, look, I want you to go to a different country, and I want you to find this guy, and I want you to anoint him as king. And, he, and, and Elijah's like, well, they, okay, they already have a king. So, like, you're, like, changing kings? Yep, that's what I'm doing. Also, anoint Jehu of Nimshi king over Israel. Okay, time out. Time out. Israel already has a king. His name is Ahab. His wife is Jezebel. You know, they're looking for me. They're trying to kill me. And God's going, I know. I know. We're going to replace the king. And then, and this was kind of maybe kind of odd for him, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. You already got a prophet. That's me. God goes, I know. So like, so like we're getting a new one? So you like, so you like God have thought this through? So you like you like have a plan? You mean like all that stuff, you know, I've been telling you, you know how bad things are. You have like you have like a solution? You mean there's 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 a future? There's a purpose? You're up to something? I didn't know that. Exactly. That's why you ran. That's why I'm asking you. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I haven't changed. I haven't abandoned you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm still God. What are you doing here? Jehu will put to death any who escapes the sword of Haziel and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, whose mouth have not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you think you're the only one left. You're not. You, you think you know all there is to know, but you don't know all there is to know. What in the world are you doing here? So here's my point. Here's my point that I want to drive home this morning. If you have allowed your worry to drive you into behaviors and habits and emotional frenzy, you know, to drive a, a, a wedge through your relationships, 
to cause you to do stupid, you know, financial things, to, to consider, you know, things that you maybe have never considered before. I think this is God's question for you and for me today. What are you doing there? What are you doing there? I mean, if there's no God, I get it. I understand why you're there if there's no God. I get that. But you, your whole life, believed there was a God. You, for most of your life, you know, have believed that Jesus, you know, is a significant part of your belief and what you believe. I mean, many of us believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that God sent to die for our sins, that God sent into this world to pay for our sins. And many of us, most of us sitting in this room, have enough history with God and have seen God's past faithfulness, you know, over and over and over again through our lives and maybe not always the way that we thought it should be, but in some amazing, amazing ways. Many of us have seen bad things happen that we're glad they happened because they led to good things. We just couldn't see it at the time. And we've told the stories. <clears throat> we've written the emails, shared testimonies, cried, teared up, gotten baptized, you know, all, all of that. Most of us have enough history with God that the truth is there's really no excuse for us to be where we have allowed worry to cause us and to drive us to be. And God is still in control. God still has a plan for your life. God still has a purpose for your life. And you need to take God's advice to Elijah, and you need to go back to where you can face tomorrow with confidence that God is going to be there in your tomorrow. You know what? Some of you have actually made things worse than they were. Not only has your worry not added a single hour to your life, as, you know, as we heard Jesus say last week, but it has actually removed good things from your life because you feared what you couldn't control, that you've never, and I've never, ever been able to control. I mean, isn't it amazing how today's worries can erase God's past faithfulness? Isn't that true? I mean, isn't it amazing today's worries just totally blank out God's past faithfulness? In fact, and some of you have done this, uh, you know, whenever someone, uh, you know, uh, sends me a, an email or, or a text or something and they'll share with me something that God has done, they'll tell me this incredible, you know, God story about how God just showed up and God did this and God came through and it's just amazing, uh, you know, what God did. You know what I hope they do? You know what we should do? You know what we should do? When you experience something like that, you need to write it down. And you need to put it somewhere. Kathy and I have done this many times. She has journaling where we go back and we're like, oh, remember that? Oh, remember what God did? Oh, remember what God did? Because you're going to need to read that story. Because in the moment of worry, we forget God's past faithfulness and we go to places we have no business going. I mean, isn't it amazing how today's worries, not only does it freak us out about tomorrow, but it's like it erases everything that God has done in the past. The worries of today make us doubt whether God's going to be there in our tomorrow. And friends, I want to tell you, He will be there. Come on. He will be there in your tomorrow. That, that's really the point of this whole series. You know, as Jesus taught and as Elijah would you know, ultimately find out the hard way, we're simply to do, and this is going to set some of you free, we're just simply to do what we know to do today and trust God with tomorrow. We're simply to do what we know to do today and when, you know, we just trust God. When we've done all we can do today, we just trust God with tomorrow. Because this isn't about being careless. This isn't about being irresponsible. This isn't, this isn't going, well, you know, whatever. You know, well, it's not any of that. You just do all you can do today, and you say, God, I've been faithful today, and I'm going to trust that you will be faithful tomorrow. And when those whispering voices, you know, all of a sudden, you know, causes your mind to start going down that trail of worry, and and you begin to make a decision that's going to take you off center, that's when you just need to stop and say, no, 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 no. God, I've done all I can do today. I'll see you in my tomorrow. I've done all I can do today. I'll see you in my tomorrow. I've done all I can do today. I'll see you in my tomorrow. I'm trusting you, God, 
for tomorrow. I'm confident, God, that you are going to be there. Tomorrow is, is uncertain. Tomorrow has always been uncertain. But we just decide, you know what? I'm not going to allow my stress and my anxiety and my worry to drive me to places that I have no business being. No business being. I'm going to walk into tomorrow with confidence that God is with me. Now, of course, you have another option. You can just worry. Okay? You can spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and, you know, just worry about things that you can't do anything about. And Jesus would say to you, you really don't need to do that because God, who has invited you to call him Father, is going to be there in your tomorrow. He's going to be there. If you will simply do what you can do today, trust him with your tomorrow, you have no reason to worry. Listen, you have been invited to say to your heavenly Father, I've done all I can do today. I'm, I'll see you tomorrow. And when you do that, you have no reason to worry. So let me just ask you one question, and then we're done, and then I want to talk to you. Here's a question. Have you gone some places that you should not have gone, that you shouldn't go, because of the stress and the chaos and the uncertainty? of tomorrow. If you have, you need to go back. You need to go back. Go back to where you came from. Some of you need to sit down with your whole family and just say, you know what? You know, Dad, I've been a jerk. I haven't been here emotionally. My temper has been short. I'm coming back. I've, I have allowed, you know, my fear of tomorrow to cause me to become somebody I know I haven't been in the past. Some of you need to call your parents and apologize. You've been short. You've been snappy. You've been insensitive. And if somebody asks you to sit down with you and say, why do you talk to your mom like that? Why do you talk to them? Why do you treat them that way? And, you know, you would have a great story. Oh, but Israel has abandoned, you know, the covenants and they've torn. Oh, you'd have a great story. Oh, you'd have a great story. And if there was no God, you would be justified. Right on. But if there is a God who has invited you to call him Father, if he can be trusted with tomorrow, then you you got you to gotta come back to where you were. Maybe with the stress and the worry, it's driven you into a place you shouldn't be because now you're addicted to a habit that you cannot break. You need to go back. Maybe you've severed a relationship. Maybe just an emotional, you know, severance. You got to go back. Wherever it is that worry and stress has driven you, that you know you have no place being, God's invitation to you today, God's invitation to us every day, every day, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. You have no business being here because I'm the God that's invited you to call me Father. You just do what you can do today. And you trust me, either tomorrow. And if, if God, as Jesus said, if God, as Jesus said, is as worried and concerned, not worried, but as concerned about you as you are, there's no reason to worry. I mean, why would you worry? I mean, my, and my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that in this time of incredible uncertainty, I mean, we could talk about the political and the, everything that's going on in our nation right now. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty. There's just so much stuff. But let's just keep it right here in our lives, right here with all the incredible uncertainty that we as Christians, <laughs> that we as a church would respond in a way that's so different than the people around us. That's just so different that our light would shine so bright, not because our circumstances are better, but because we refuse to allow the stress of our circumstances to drive us to places we have no business being. Because when we do all that we can do today, God promises to be there for our tomorrow. Amen. God is good. All the time, God is good. So I want to I talk to you. I have something that I am so fired up about, so excited about. And, uh, you know, elders, you know, we're all together on board 
and there's all just feeling the peace of God with what I'm about, you know, to share with you. It's just, it's just an amazing journey over the last couple of months. 21 years ago, Kathy and I, God put it in my heart and Kathy's heart to plant a church right here in the heart of Covington. And um, when we launched the church 21 years ago, um, we had no money, no staff to speak of, no land, no building. We didn't really have anything to speak of. Uh, all we had was a vision and a dream to reach people who were far from Jesus. That's what we wanted to do, right? To want to reach people far from Christ. And over the last 21 years that uh, we have been together, over those 21 years, we have seen God put marriages back together. In fact, some of you sitting out here right now could raise your hand and say, yep, I'm one of those. God put our marriage back together, restored our family, put our family back together. We've seen people come to Jesus. Uh, We've had countless water baptisms that have taken place where people have taken that next step in their journey to be baptized. Um, I just got an email just recently, someone else that we're going to baptize, which I'm really, really excited about. Uh, We've had some staff members uh, go out of our church that have gone out into different cities and have uh, become incredible uh, men of God, women of God. Uh, had breakfast just this past, uh, a little over a week ago, with one of our former staff members doing a phenomenal work where he's at. He's got a multi-site going on. God's using him in incredible, incredible ways. We've seen God, you know, send out staff from our church. We've seen some incredible healings, physical healings take place in our church where God literally raised people almost, I mean, almost ready to die and God raised them up and they live for years and years and years after that. Not, not only that, but I think about some of the financial blessings that God has given our church over you know the last uh, 21 years. Amazing. And there has been some key moments along the way. Um, one in particular, and, and many of you were there when this happened, we uh, were right in the middle of our, you know, purchase our land, get ready to build campaign. We were right in the middle of that. And we as an eldership team, leadership team, and some of you were a part of that team as well, kind of our building team that we had together. We were trying to decide, do we continue or do we not continue? Because this was right in the middle of the housing crisis. People were losing their homes. People were losing their jobs. Lots of things were happening, you know, during that time. And we decided, well, let's just lay this before the Lord. If he wants us to continue, then God will show up in a very, very real and tangible way in our tomorrow. And many of you were there when we took that offering on that Sunday morning, and we raised in one Sunday morning 200, and I think it was $28,000 in cash on a, on a Sunday morning, which was just amazing, not counting all of the other commitments. And, you know, this is above and beyond, you know, people's ties and all of that. It's just that sacrificial, sacrificial giving. It was just just amazing, amazing, amazing. And many, many of you have sacrificially given over the years uh, and just poured into it. I mean, I mean, think about our five acres, how we got our five acres. And the miraculous thing that was, a guy comes into our life, I'll give you the short version, comes into our life, t- talks to my wife Kathy and I and says, hey, I've got your land locked up for you. And we're like, okay, what, what's that about? I've got your land locked up for you. You've got 30 days to buy it. And so I go knock on the door and say, hey, my name is Dave McBroom. I'm the pastor of, of Solid Rock. I understand you have our land for us. She goes, yep, you've got 30 days to buy it. I've got developers waiting in line to buy this because it is such a choice, you know, piece of property in the heart of Covington. And so we bought the property. And because of your sacrificial giving and your generosity, we were able to collectively pour hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, into that. So much so that we've been able to invest two and a half million dollars in our property Almost a million dollars underground work, two and a half million dollars, and we're debt free. That, that, that's a miraculous thing. Again, I just think about the generosity of the people of God. And then I think about the scripture of the Apostle Paul. Let us not become weary in doing good. And can I just tell you, you've done good. You've done good. You've done good. Let us not become weary in in well-doing because at the proper time, at the set time, at the right time, at the appointed time, we will reap a harvest. And I truly believe that we are entering into that incredible, incredible moment of reaping that harvest because all of your giving, 
all of your sowing, all of your sacrifice, everything, some of us almost 15 years pouring in and pouring in and pouring in and, and many of us just giving. I think we're about to reap that harvest because here's the beautiful thing. God, God has a timetable for every seed that we plant. Did you know that? God has a timetable for every seed that we plant. So I, tell, I told you all that to say this. When I announced my retirement uh, from Solid Rock as the founding pastor about eight weeks ago now, and uh, I was transitioning out as, as the founding pastor, I immediately met with our eldership, and uh, we began the process of formulating a plan to um, you know, find uh, someone to, to take my place as the senior pastor of Solid Rock. And uh, so we, we started down that plan. We knew that we had uh, lots and lots of interviews that were in front of us, lots and lots of resumes in front of us. We didn't know if we were going to look at 10 resumes or 100 resumes. We just knew that we had a lot in front of us. And if we were able to find someone that would be able to lead the church, we knew that we were still looking at maybe 12 to 15 years, maybe uh, somewhere around that time frame, continue renting, you know, because we don't have a building or, or land. We would continue going down that path. And that was the route we were going. You know, we had already started the process and they were moving, uh, going down that road. And then, uh, while that was going on, I started texting all of my, a lot of my pastor friends. And I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm retiring. Hey, I just want you to know I'm retiring. And it's like, hey, congratulations, you know. And one of my uh, pastor friends that I text was Pastor Troy Jones of, of New Life. And I, I texted him. He was down at a conference in California. And I said, hey, Troy, I just want you to know, man, we've been friends for about 12 years. And I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm retiring. And, um, and he wrote back and said, oh, man, it's wow. So, you know, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I just, I just think that's great. And then a few minutes after that, about 15 minutes later, he texted me again and said, can I give you a call? And I said, absolutely. So he gave me a call. And he said, would would you ever consider, would this ever be a possibility that maybe new life and solid rock could merge? Would that ever be a consideration? And I said, well, you know, it's not something that's really been on my radar scale. It's not something that I've really been thinking about. But I said, I will certainly take that to our elders and, you know, share that with them. And so I went to our elders and said, hey, guys, here's the conversation that I had. And so we all agreed at that time, let's fast, let's pray, let's go before the Lord, let's just find out what the, the heart and the mind of God is. And so we did. For the next two or three weeks, we were praying and fasting. And the more we fasted and the more we prayed, the more we began to realize that God was in this. And so Pastor Troy came and met with our elders, and he, he actually brought some other pastors with him as well. They met with our eldership, and, you know, we had a chance chance to ask some questions and, you know, get some, get some things answered. I actually went up to their site and in, uh, at New Life at their Renton campus, and I actually met with 13 or 14 of their elders and shared what the heart of our eldership was thinking at the same time. And again, the more we begin to pray, the more we begin to, to fast and pray about this, we realize something, that we were better together, that we're better together. And I just want to say this. That all of the all of the investment, all of this, the the financial investment that you've poured into this, because of that, and because of the coming together, because they have some resources and we have some resources, and just that blending together, the goal right now is to break land next fall. Anybody excited about that? In the next eighteen to twenty-four months, break break ground, and so so. New Life Maple Valley and Covington Solid Rock come together. So New Life Maple Valley and Solid Rock come together and out on our property, they're going to build the building that we've all been investing in and we're going to be able to be in there and be a part of that. Unless, you know, some of you would like to continue setting up and tearing down. Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah, I didn't think so. And plus, some of you don't even know this. I've had people go, oh, I didn't even know that. You, you may not know this, but we spend like five to $6,000 a month just to rent this building. Some of you didn't even know that. You're like, oh, I thought they gave it to us free. No, thousands and thousands of dollars. We just believe that God is in this. And so I want you to listen to this. Watch this video from Pastor Troy. Need the sound. First and foremost, I want to take a moment and tell you I am so excited about what God is doing in the Covington and Maple Valley area. 
I'm so excited about the potential that we have to really link arms together. And Paul said in Philippians 1 that we become partners in the gospel from the first day until now. To think about the partnership that's about to happen with New Life is Solid Rock. I'm telling you, church, God is up to something big in this region. It's very unique. It's an exciting opportunity. And I realize with, with change like this, it's very easy to ask questions, very easy to wonder what's the future look like. I'm telling you, we're all kind of in the same boat together. But I am absolutely confident that God is directing each step at a time. I want to take a moment and just honor Pastor Dave McBroom. What an absolutely incredible leader, incredible man of God, incredible visionary. I'm so excited about coming along with him, kind of like Paul and Barnabas, that relationship in the book of Acts. That's what it looked like. It is a Paul and Barnabas relationship as we link arms to believe God for a revival, for awakening in Maple Valley, Covington, Pacific Northwest, and ultimately the world. I think what's gonna happen, this is gonna be a witness, an example, and a testimony to how churches need to start working together and being partners of the gospel, as Paul talked about, and literally marching forward for the kingdom of God. So again, I can't tell you how excited I am about um, our future relationship together. I will be with you, me and my wife will be with you next weekend. We're excited about just preaching. We're gonna come together, preach the word of God. We'll be available for you for questions and answers. I'm excited about the month of May. We're gonna have so many things happening in May where you can ask questions, get to know each other. And then in June, we're going to have this big celebration where we're gonna become one church. And on June 9th, we're gonna do this Vision Sunday where we're gonna have a big party. We're gonna honor Pastor Dave and we're gonna shout about the future. I wanna tell you, we're meeting aggressively already with architects, with our building committee, with our elders, your elders, really to talk about when will we get the future building um, there on your property done. And uh, we'll be talking about those details, but I'm believing that in the next 18, 24 months, we're gonna have a groundbreaking ceremony and we're gonna celebrate the legacy that God has put in your heart for the last 21 years. Listen to me, the best is yet to come. And I really believe that God wants to do some amazing things. So once again, a shout out to Pastor Dave, a shout out to your church, a shout out to New Life, and most of all, a shout out to the kingdom of God. I think the kingdom of God wins here. The devil's not happy with it, but the kingdom of God wins. So we'll see you next weekend. God bless you. Jen and myself will be praying for you. We can't wait to meet all of you next weekend. Yeah. Can we give it up for the Lord? Yeah. So I just, I want to, I want to have the, uh, I think your first impressions teams have got a, a handout to give you. Why don't you go ahead and do that right now, really, really quick. I think you guys have got that. I want to go over some key dates with you, just really, really quick, so everybody is, is aware of this. Uh, I also want to let you know that I spoke last Thursday night at uh, New Life Maple Valley. I was out there sharing for about 10 or 12 minutes, and, and uh, Dale was out there with me, and Dave Olson was out there with me, and uh, I, I got to tell you, they are so excited for us to come together and, and join with them. In fact, I wanted to do this. I was thinking about this as I was thinking about it. If you work in children's ministry, would you just wave your hand? Just If you work in children's ministry, wave, raise it really high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wave it. Wave at me if you work in children's ministry. Okay, good. I, I met with their children's pastor, and, and Jenna's been connecting with them as well. I, I'm telling you, I bragged on you guys like there was no tomorrow. I said you were like walked on water. So I really set the stage for all you guys, and they're so excited for you to be a part of that. So that's going to be great. So uh, here are some key dates that you need to be aware of. Uh, pastor Troy will actually be here in two weeks. On the 28th, we'll be able to meet our new pastor. And uh, so that's going to be really exciting. I'd love for you to, to get the word out and to invite as many people as you can. Uh, there's going to be on May 2nd, as you can see, and on the 9th as well, uh, a meeting with Pastor Troy. And Pastor Lincoln, who is the campus pastor at New Life Maple Valley, uh, that'll be on the, the 2nd and the 9th. And then also, I think on the 16th, no, there's not, on the 15th, there's a youth party merge moment. So we, we want all of our youth, all of our youth to be there at the Maple Valley campus on, on the May 15th, Wednesday. It's going to be a great merge, going to be a big party for everybody. Then June 2nd will be our last service here at Kentwood. 
So it'll be our last service, and uh, we've got some things planned for that. It's going to be pretty exciting. We've got some stuff after the service as well. It's going to be a great time together uh, at that time. And then our first gathering uh, will be June 9th as one church. And I think we are better together. Are we better together? We are better. We are better together. If you have any questions at all, please, please let me know. You can text me. You can email me. Let me know. We'll try to answer your questions. On the 28th, when Pastor Troy is here, we're also going to have a time of question and answering uh, down here at the front after that particular service. But I'm telling you, we are going to be able to impact our community in a greater way. We're going to be able to reach more people for Jesus in a, in a greater way together. You believe that? Do you believe that? Come on. Would you, would you stand, stand to your feet? Let's pray together. I want to pray for us, and then, then we'll be dismissed. Father God, just, just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, just as we talked about this morning, we know, God, that you're going to be there in our tomorrow. We know, God, that you have some incredible things planned and in store. Father, we just want to be um, just open to you, and we just want to be, be just surrendered to your will and what you have. And we believe, God, that you're going to do some mighty and great and wonderful things, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Would you take a couple of minutes, just greet the people around you, give them a hug, tell them you love them. We'll see you next week.